live an uncommon life, one needs to learn uncommon disciplines. I'm excited to announce that our next coaching certification group is starting soon and we're accepting applications right now. If you're interested in radically increasing your leadership and coaching skills, this program might be the perfect fit for you. The coaching certification program is extremely unique because the foundation of the system was originally used in the nationwide training and mentoring program that I developed for the Navy SEALs. If you want to master a coaching and leadership system that is powerful enough to help the SEALs dominate and win, no matter the challenges they face, then visit our website to learn more about getting certified as an Unbeatable Mind coach and leader. Just go to unbeatablemind.com forward slash coaching. Our unique coaching certification program is invaluable for leaders of all kinds. If you're a business owner, executive, a business coach, consultant, or manager, this program could give you the leverage you need to rapidly accelerate your business goals. Our certification program is also perfect if you're interested in starting a part-time or full-time coaching business. Many of our Unbeatable Mind coaches charge a minimum of $200 per hour, and they charge a lot more for team coaching, which is our specialty. Again, The next certification group is starting soon, and space is going to be limited. So visit our website to learn more today. Go to unbeatablemind.com forward slash coaching. Hoo-yah. See you there. Divine out. Hey, folks. This is Mark Divine. Welcome back to the Unbeatable Mind podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. Super stoked to have you on board. Appreciate your support. If you like this podcast, you like the guests, you think it's adding some value, then Sure is helpful if you give it a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to it. Those five-star reviews sure help other people find it and helps us stay in the top-ranked podcast. So that's also very motivating for me to continue doing this. So hoo thanks for that. Also, really appreciate reviews on the books. There's another way that people find me, Unbill Mind, and Seal Fit, all the work that we're doing, um, is through the books. So if you like the books or a book that I've written, then a review on Amazon or Barnes & Noble is really helpful. So super appreciate that. Today, I've got another solo cast continuing the journey, which, oh, what a journey it's been, of updating and editing my Unbeatable Mind book. The latest uh, information on that, by the way, is we're turning it into a series. So this update has become so extensive that it will be a new book. I think I mentioned that before, focused on leaderships from the Unbeatable Mind perspective, focused on building are developing leadership, authenticity, and character, and also leading teams. So we're going to get into that. And um, what you're hearing now is an early draft of an update to Chapter 7. And uh, this will change dramatically by the time I end up publishing the book. But here we go. It's valuable information. I think it'll be interesting for you to hear and from my voice or from my perspective. So Chapter 7. Cultivating Deep Awareness. This is Chapter 7 of Unbeatable Mind, Book 2 in the series. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you'll also suffer defeat. And if you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. Sun Tzu. In Section 1 of this book, we learned how to develop mental and emotional distance from our negative thoughts and conditioned reactions. 
do this by first rebalancing from stress with box breathing and the six pillars, and then developing attention control, concentration, and mental focusing power. Finally, we make that profound leap to connect to our timeless, eternal witnessing self. Next, in section two, we learn to begin to eradicate negative conditioning and upgrade rational decision-making. This sets us up on a path of wholeness, wholeness with five mountain integration training and the disciplines of self-mastery. Finally, we learned how leading with self-service is a natural drive when one is on a growth path. Living Kokoro, heart, mind, and merged in service, furthers our evolution. Now, in this third section, we will focus on cultivating excellence by becoming more aware of our daily habits and what we actually stand for to improve our decision-making, especially in volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous times, or VUCA. We'll start by expanding our awareness of what's really going on around us. Expanded awareness can be internal, such as noting subconscious patterns as they arise, as well as emotional shadow triggers, but it can also be external, such as recognizing patterns and nuances of what's going on in the environment around us and the world in general. We'll work to eradicate bias and set up the conditions for excellence by initiating a daily practice. Excellence will come as a result of habituating behaviors proven by you to lead to more effective and meaningful results in your life. So this chapter seven starts with getting even more intimate with the hidden forces driving your decisions and behavior. Blind spots, biases, negative emotional shadow, and reactive conditioning all form what we call your background of obviousness, or BOO, B-O-O. These forces lie hidden in plain sight in your subconscious background, but they're obvious to everyone else, not you. The background of obviousness. While with SEAL Team 3, I was deployed to the Middle Eastern nation of Bahrain for an extended mission. One day, while walking on the naval base with a Bahraini naval officer, he reached over and grabbed my hand and he held it. It was an awkward moment for me, made even more so because he made no move to release my hand. He held it while we toured the base for 45 minutes. As a 28-year-old straight guy, a Navy SEAL with a strong dose of testosterone streaming through me, every cell in my body was screaming in discomfort. To say that this act required emotional control is an understatement. But I also understood, though, that this was normal for him and part of his cultural bias. It was my own background of obviousness, belief that holding hands with a male was not something that this straight guy did that made it awkward. Who deemed that holding hands with a man was wrong, after all? In Bahrain, holding hands with another male is a show of friendship and loyalty. Do we expect our norms to be the norms of other cultures? Shouldn't. They will have their norms and beliefs, and we may not understand them. What is obvious to others, we may be completely blind to, and vice versa. We are usually too quick to judge. Jesus is a good mentor here, admonishing his followers to first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Matthew 7, 5. Here's the point, though. Though we may easily see the shortcomings of the beliefs and behaviors of others, we often remain utterly ignorant of our own, which are equal or worse. This blindness to the patterns and hidden beliefs that drive behavior is our background of obviousness. And this boo is largely memory-induced phenomena of your past-oriented self and deep-rooted belief systems. Boo can include things such as, one, hidden assumptions about your life based upon the family and place you were raised, which show up as relative rules and belief, such as thinking people should look or act a certain way in order to be what's considered normal or accepted. Two, a mind primed to think a certain way by the dominant myths, stories, and language of your society. For example, people who believe that their government or way of life is right, the best, and full of value for others 
while other groups are wrong, immoral, ignorant, or otherwise have less value. The entire functioning of all societies is built upon a story to include the economic, political, and business memes. Change the story, and the society will change along with it. An example of this is occurring before our very eyes, as the story of the industrial world's use of unlimited natural resources is clashing with the new story of environmental disaster and global warming. Black Lives Matter has transformed the story of racism. The old stories do not hold up to reality when enough people wake up and see the new storyline emerging. Three, a mind and body corrupted by negative emotional trauma that is experienced at a very early age. This can include suffering from insecurities and fears of abandonment, brought on by absentee parents or caregivers who withheld affection. And four, amongst others, an individual stuffed with overheated social media noise and TV may believe that famous or wealthy people are smarter or better than them, or conclude that the world is imploding based on the histrionic babble of bad news. By the way, although bad news seems to break hour upon hour, made all the more grim by the turbulent headlines and graphics as sensationalist Times Square, statistically, per capita, we live in the safest and most abundant period in the known history of mankind. I mentioned these boo attributes. They lie deep in your subconscious mind and are also stored in your body. Your experience is looping thought patterns and emotions that link to a belief or a storyline. That link causes a conditioned reaction or another loop to arise. It's this nonstop monkey mind and your body. Your boo can trip you up in so many ways that it's a major relief when you finally bring it into conscious awareness. We don't have to drag that shadowy part of ourselves around like a kettlebell anymore. Understanding boo will lead to more clarity and better decision-making, allowing you to avoid future regrets. But doing the work to overcome boo takes, boo takes guts. Many well-intentioned people back off when confronted with a challenge. Why? Because it's scary and painful to acknowledge that we're so flawed. Also, it's a cultural boo that we pretend perfection and no weakness or hide weakness. I've seen many clients of ours concoct overwhelming obstacles when embarking on this shadow work. They back down with elaborate excuses, usually that they've solved their problems, or they just skim the surface and claim they're transformed. Obstacles and excuses for not showing up to do the work arise in four key areas I've noticed. One, Claiming to not have the financial means or time to engage in the work or to hire a coach or therapist or attend specialized training. Two, an inability to muster the motivation and the energy for the task. Three, fear of a reputation hit if others learn that you aren't perfect. Oh my. Sister obstacle to this one is the fear of success, which would disrupt the status quo. And four, not having the courage to open up the hood and do that emotional work. You could blame your parents for your flaws or assume that that's just who you are, period. Fixed mindset. We'll address bias and emotional shadow a little bit later. The point of bringing it up now is to show how challenging deep awareness can be because we're all burdened with significant subconscious programming that clutters our minds and blocks our intuitive and emotional intelligence. The work of developing your five mountains is comprehensive and layered. And developing the mental mountain leads you to greater awareness of cognitive bias and work in this emotional mountain sheds light on your boo shadows. You're going to navigate these five mountains with growing awareness as you practice with these unbeatable mind tools. Aligning with universal truths. 
No matter how long or how hard you try, one cannot hide from their own boo. It informs and underlies your very philosophy of life, whether you know it or not, and influences every thought and action. It has a profound effect on who you are now and who you will become in the future. This may seem obvious, but why do so few people study themselves to understand what drives their behavior and choices in life? It seems that something so important should be poked, prodded, and exposed to ensure that it stands up against the true wisdom of the ages. Boo can pop up to scare you when you least expect it. Likes and dislikes, dogma and opinion on everything from career options, finances, food, views about God and nature, relationship with your parents and elders, family roles, and the like all stem from beliefs you adopted from others and your experiences early in life. If if things seem to be working well for you now and you don't feel the need to investigate them, well then, good for you. However, may you consider that your mind may be fixed and inflexible to new ways of thinking. This is you, then your growth will stall and then regress. The work of self-awareness necessitates that you examine every aspect of your conditioning, no matter how good you think things are now. Perhaps your beliefs have propelled you to become a financially powerful hedge fund leader. That's great. How's that going for you in the fitness, health, and emotional realms? How are you in the humility department? Do you have peace of mind and spiritual insight in your life? I have many extremely successful friends who spend all their waking hours rushing from one meeting to another, traveling the globe, only to find their health falling apart and that they've missed their kids' prime years. A few have learned to find some balance, yet still never investigate things that they fear, such as death. Rather, they do everything possible to distract, deny, or run from these most potent wisdom lessons. When was the last time that you earnestly challenged the core beliefs that you hold dear? Often this type of self-analysis happens only when we hit a wall. In a major crisis or health scare, everything chatters, clatters to a halt, and conditioned patterns get interrupted. At those times, we push the same cherished buttons on the life cruise control panel, but the machine sputters and breaks down even more. It's in those times that we're forced to examine new beliefs. Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Pretty blunt, eh? What does it mean to examine your life? Well, he meant to examine your boo and your core beliefs so that you can live in alignment with the highest possible truths to guide your philosophy and behaviors. Only then can you lead and serve others with truth and wisdom and love. That's a life worth living. And ideally, you'll embark on this path before a train wreck forces you to. Really, does it make sense to go through life with an airtight assumption that all the ideas we have ingested are unassailable? That's a dead-end road to an unexamined life. Examining beliefs will lead to new levels of resolve because you find deeper meaning and clarity about the nature of existence itself. In our postmodern culture, most people's truth is relative to time and place. Few rely on universal truths that cross time, place, and people. Relative beliefs include tribal beliefs, such as one's notion of a place in the world. Consider the long line of tribal organizations with leaders and cultures that promoted the belief in their exceptional place in the world. Egypt and its pharaohs, Rome and its emperors, conquerors like Attila the Hun, Alexander the Great and Napoleon, empires like the Persian, Ottoman, and British, dictatorial rulers like Hitler, Stalin, Mao, and the modern nation states of Russia, Israel, America, and China. All those cultures have or had a relative belief that their place in the world was preeminent relative to others. Could they all be right? And consider cherished religious beliefs. 
is it really true? I mean, with absolute proof that an adherent of Islam will be met by a bunch of virgins upon arrival in heaven as a reward for martyrdom? How could they know for sure? Is it just because a human being wrote it in a book? If you are a Muslim, please don't take offense. There are similar examples from all religious traditions. I'm just asking, are you sure that there's a place like that? Has someone that you know and trust come back from there to describe its wonders? These are good examples of boo. They are patently obvious stories to most looking in from the outside. But if one is brought up steeped in those beliefs, it's hard, very hard to see the story for what it is. And most people do not give themselves permission to challenge pet beliefs like this. It's scary to think that one has been living in possible falsehood. Relative truths arise from the values, expectations, and level of development of the individual or society that he or she is in. I should say in society. It's a both and. They include not just the norms around the place in the world and religious beliefs discussed, but also the ideas heavily influenced by your family of origin and pop culture. What does it mean to see and have success, health, and strong morals? It depends, because it's different for everyone. Relative beliefs are taken as truth by their adherents, but are elastic in nature. The beauty of this type of belief is in the great diversity of lived experience. The downside arises when those truths are exclusionary and separate us from others. The truths are destructive when they make one dependent on any institution, whether the state, church, or a corporation. Relatives' truths all score low on the sliding scale of consciousness and love. Universal truths, on the other hand, are the polar opposite of relative truths. They score high on the scale of consciousness and love. And in contrast to relative truths, they don't change across cultures and time. Beliefs such as the importance of treating others as you would like to be treated, which is generosity, and that there's plenty for everyone in this world, that's abundance, are universally experienced outside of the relativity and selfishness of tribal norms. These universal beliefs are beyond discrimination or judgment of race, age, class, or creed. What is universally true for me is also universally true for you, regardless of the context in which we were raised. For example, no matter where you go in this world, if you treat people the way you'd like to be treated, you'll get more positive results than if you treat them like dirt because you feel more exceptional than them. It doesn't matter where or how you learn this true and good idea. It's universally true. Philosophers of all ages have noted that growth and goodness accrue to those who align with universal truths, internalizing them into their personal philosophy of life. On the other hand, weakness, even great damage, can arise from relativistic truths as in, my way is the way. Most people are raised in a culture biased towards scarcity because it's hardwired into the modern economic system. But the moment you choose to examine that relative truth, it falls apart. It's actually universally true that if you treat the world as abundant, abundance becomes your new reality. There's never a bad time to boost your immune system. But I don't need to tell you how important a strong immune system is right now, given the global health crisis that's been spreading across the planet. P30M from Bioptimizer are a probiotic that improves your digestion and nutrient absorption, helping to ensure your digestive tract and immune system stays strong and healthy. While many other probiotics on the market don't even survive your own stomach acid, P30M is fully tested to make sure the probiotic strains not only survive in your body, but also don't compete with each other. 
so you're as protected as possible from the growth of bad bacteria and other pathogens. Also, while other probiotics okay. Also, while other probiotics require refrigeration or can die in transport and on the shelf, P30M doesn't need refrigeration at all. It's been clinically proven to give you more energy, lead to less bloating, more mental clarity, and to shift your metabolism into fat burning mode. So if you're ready to boost your immune system, have healthier digestion, and burn fat, go check out bioptimizers.com slash unbeatable. That's B-O, that's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash unbeatable. You can use the promo code unbeatable10 to get 10% off your order. Two things to remember here. Go to bioptimizers.com forward slash unbeatable and to use the promo code unbeatable10 or 10. There's never been a more important time to boost your immune system than today. So go to bioptimizers.com forward slash unbeatable now and start living stronger. Hoo-yah. The approach we have at Unbeatable Mind is to assume the role of the scientist and to test our theories on ourselves. We don't adopt a new truth until we observe it in others, try it ourselves, and validate the positive results. Then we can implement what works and discard what doesn't. In my own testing and validation, I have seen things improve dramatically when I aligned my beliefs and actions with universal truths. To actualize this principle, an examination of one's core underlying belief system is necessary to see which are relative and which are universal beliefs. If a belief is relative, then put it under the microscope to validate its veracity and universal applicability. Does it work across time, place, and person? Or is it an idea only relatable to you because your tribe is different and special? Be prepared to have pet ideas challenge. Approach this work with a curious attitude and a serious desire to upgrade truths that don't pass the smell test. If a belief appears to be a universal truth, then ask whether you fully understand and appreciate its power. Also ask whether it's possible that you hold a competing relative belief in your subconscious mind that cancels it out. Incidentally, this work is best done with others on the path. You risk blowback if you share your challenge the pet belief game with those of your tribe not ready to break the mold. Here's an example of a canceling belief. You subscribe to a universal belief in, in abundance that there's enough to go around and there's no reason to hoard or see scarcity, no need to butt into a line or steal someone's steak off the grill. However, you could simultaneously hold on to the relative belief that you're not worthy of the abundance because you were born of the wrong color, had poor parents, lacked the right opportunities, didn't go to college, or stuck in a dead-end job. In this example, it's apparent that you could believe in the concept of abundance, yet the relative belief and corresponding emotional state around yourself were contradicts or cancel that out. I'm not talking about systemic issues that do create impediments to success. I'm talking about mindset and beliefs here. Routing out contradictions like this present an enormous opportunity for growth. Let me give you another personal example. A lot of guys that I serve with in the military truly believe that America is superior to other countries. They made it their responsibility to defend and spread those ideals to others, which would improve the others' lot in life. That is most definitely a relative truth that doesn't hold up over time in other places and for all people. 
often the views of the military members would change when they went to war and got exposed to these other cultures. Suddenly, they started to question that belief. You know what? Many of these people that were in their country don't want to live the way we do. They don't want us here at all. We're not heroes to them. That relative belief got shattered, and they can even become uncertain as to why they're out there risking their life. It's a dangerous place to be in. When a big relative truth like that falls, it can upset your entire why and send you back to the drawing board. I think that's great, actually. Like many military guys in my mid-20s, I believe that serving my country was important to our way of life. We were projecting force for global security while spreading dem democratic ideals in the world. 20 years later, my experiences exposed some flaws in that relative belief. I did not stop being a fan of the United States or the military, but I realized that other cultures had values and ways of life that suited them just fine. It may be better off that they did not adopt our Western model straight up. I saw that my earlier motivations were fueled by a relative belief in American exceptionalism. This served me well until I aligned with the universal truth of do no harm unless in self-preservation. In addition, I came to believe in the truth that individuals and cultures have a right to self-determination within certain boundaries built upon universal truths, such as human rights. I had to realign my why toward the world-centric warrior committed to promoting the ideals outlined in this book. Ultimately, this emergent and more inclusive awareness nudged me to retire from the military to use my skills to lead and selflessly serve in a new way. This has led me to teaching and inspiring a new generation of leaders. When your worldview shifts, there's a realization that you've been living a truth that's not ringing as real any longer. It's jarring, but you look deeply into your heart and integrate a new universal truth in its place. Guess what that's called? It's called growth. Be strong. During these shifts, it's easy to lose a formerly false sense of certainty as things get cloudy. The commitment to a task might erode because you as an individual can no longer connect to the original why. At best, this can be a serious setback. In a crisis or war, it can get people killed. The space between the old and new presents a choice to press boldly forward into the unknown or to slink back into comfortable territory. We've established that it's a moment-to-moment -moment arising and identification with your conscious and subconscious beliefs, values, needs, desires, likes, dislikes, fears, and expectations that form your ego's personality sense of self. Will as in willpower, is the power that lies behind those stories and a stable and ever-present source of inspiration. If you focus your mind on will to allow its power, will can override the things that your ego is inclined, is inclined to say or do, but you know is not a good idea. If you shut down the willpower to turn away from the negative relative truths and move toward the universally true, i.e. the positive, connecting, accepting, forgiving, peaceful, loving, joyful, compassionate, etc., then you're clinging to limiting, biased perspectives, empty values, and ego-driven expectations. However, when you're grounded in universal truth, you're not influenced by the latest fad or what others think about you and your ideas. You will gain even greater willpower and have the certainty that you're doing the right thing for the right reasons. Use building blocks of relative truths and your entire belief system will build on shifting sand, ready to be toppled by the next wave of change. But build on a foundation of universal truths and you'll be on sturdy ground. With this approach to living and examining life, you will accelerate your growth toward multidimensional, inclusive perspectives and leave absolutism and rigidity behind. An uncommon resolve will back your actions. Here's a few universal truths to explore that I have aligned with.
One, the long reach of karma states that for every action, there's a positive or negative impact on your future, but it may not be immediate. Take a positive action and you'll accrue a positive impact and positive evolution. Negative actions beget a negative impact and devolution. Two, everyone, including you, has a unique calling and a drive to evolve and align with it and fulfill it. Failure to do so leads to suffering. Three, the world has enough for everyone who chooses to see it as abundant and who is willing to co-create. Four, see the results and that which you desire to create in your mind first before taking action. This will lead to optimal outcomes. Five, in a like way, what you fix your mind on, you will attract into your life. Like attracts like. If you fix an untrained mind on negative and destructive things such as fear, greed, anger, shame, guilt, fantasy, revenge, jealousy, lack, etc., you're going to get more of those things. But fix your mind on positive, creative things such as courage, acceptance, admiration, creation, forgiveness, peace, love, connection, and you'll get more of those in your life. In fact, you will become those things. Six, you receive in proportion to the value that you deliver in life. Study your actions to determine how much of a giver or a taker you are, and then give more. Seven, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Eight, avoid being all action, constantly doing, taking no time for interaction, rest, recovery, and imagining. Otherwise, you're going to burn out and fade away. Nine, forgive yourself and others to release regrets. This leads to great peace of mind. Ten. Don't be attached to material things, pet ideas, opinions, or ultimately even your life. With this comes contentment. 11. Confronting any disagreement or unmet need with force only makes things worse. Gandhi and Martin Luther King understood that nonviolence and positive, compassionate solutions are more lasting, leading to sustainable results. 12. What you focus on with intensity and duration will have a very good chance of coming to fruition. 13. Victimhood locks one in a poverty mindset, an actual fiscal or creative poverty. There is no such thing as a truly free lunch. 14. All people are created equal and deserve to live free, sharing in opportunity and suffering equally, and to live with dignity equally. 15. You can't take anything with you when you pass on, but you can sure die trying. 16. Suffering doesn't discriminate. The only way out of suffering is to stop identifying with your ego. 17. The closer you are to nature, the healthier and more whole we are as humans. Humans and nature are not separate. Destroying nature destroys humanity. We urgently need to get back into this balance to survive. And 18. Love is the most powerful force in the universe. Moving toward love and away from fear has a positive impact on the collective consciousness of mankind and helps heal the planet. There are more universal truths, but those that I just read, those 18, give you some important things to consider. Now let's turn our attention to the practical aspects of how to examine your beliefs, explore truth, and uncover your boo. I have found that contemplation, insight meditation, visualization, and journaling to be the most useful tools. And these can be built into your daily practice in your morning and evening rituals, which we'll discuss later in the chapter. 
Contemplation. Contemplation is a reflective practice focused on understanding your beliefs and behaviors. It's done with thinking, as opposed to the witnessing meditation that I introduced earlier. For example, in this discussion of relative versus universal truth, it's worthy of contemplation. Reflect upon how you line up with them by comparing and contrasting your beliefs and behaviors against those on the list. Contemplation can be accompanied by reading something inspired that has validity as truth, such as a spiritual text like the New Testament, Power versus Force, or the Yoga Sutras. There is a reading list in the appendix to this book. You'll find other options. These texts will open your mind to new ideas and challenge some current beliefs that you have, and you can contemplate on them further. You can contrast your personal actions, your integrity, and standards against those of the authors and reflect on how you can move toward the more powerful behavior or quality. Contemplation should be motivating and lead to growth. It's not the same as ruminating on a problem, a screw-up, or a missed opportunity. Insight meditation. Insight meditation is a form of concentration, as opposed to contemplation, where the object of concentration is something you would like greater insight on. When I was practicing Zen in New York, I would often combine contemplation, insight meditation, and journaling to try to penetrate some important puzzle that I had an urgent need to solve. Note here that there is a mindfulness practice called insight meditation, but it's not exactly what I'm describing here. As you concentrate on the issue or idea, the thoughts, emotions, and imagery, or thoughts, emotion, and imagery will begin to show up in your awareness. If any of these strikes you as aha important, then you turn your concentration to that to see what else comes up. This practice can start with a well-formulated question, such as, what is my energetic relationship with money? As discussed, relative beliefs about things like money, religion, politics, and health are greatly influenced by family of origin boo, and as such can have deep psychological and emotional attachments to them, or we can have those attachments to them. Rather than just assuming that you're right, everyone else is wrong, insight meditation can bring you much greater perspective. This practice is a metacognitive skill where you're now thinking about your thinking, but with deep concentration and mindful awareness combined. You'll allow your awareness to notice what comes up, and then as you hold your concentrated mind on the object of your attention, you sink deeper into the process and let go of trying to actively think about it. Rather, you're just observing and quietly taking notes of what comes up. These will, there will be insights about your point of view and any attachments you may hold to things that may not serve you any longer. This practice brings great clarity and peace of mind. Allow me to share a personal example. After getting mired in several bad business partnerships, I used this practice to gain insight on why I kept repeating the pattern. After a few weeks of meditating on what beliefs and behaviors were leading me into these relationships, I had this distinct revelation that I was overly trusting of those who came into my business and organizational sphere, and I was not enough trusting of my own judgment. I had learned to trust my teammates with my life in the seals, which led to the mistaken judgment of giving business partners the same level of pure trust. I realized that in the private sector, there were folks from all levels of consciousness and with differing degrees of trustworthiness. So that I was, though I was discouraged by that uncomfortable fact, I had to learn to verify business partners before trusting that they had my back. Visualization. Most people have imagery occurring all the time as the default mode of rehashing past events or fantasizing a different future than currently exists. These are weak and unfocused uses of imagery. We need to train our minds to use imagery in a specific ways to affect certain desirable outcomes. 
my Colgate University swim coach, Bob Benson, had me visualize 200, the 200 meter breaststroke with a stopwatch daily. After many months, I could finally make all eight lengths of the event without breaking my concentration. My time stabilized at three seconds faster than my fastest actual time in the water. A year later, I swam that visualized time in the pool. I don't think I could have done so without the practice imagery. It was the mental work that tuned my neurobiology to swim that race. Sports psychologists have been using visualization to enhance performance since the 90s. Most Olympians, like Michael Phelps, reported using great benefit. Performance visualization can be used in a professional setting beyond sports. A SEAL platoon will perform a dirt dive or rehearsal visualization prior to every mission. This is largely a visualization of each phase of the mission, which entrains the sequence of planned events going smoothly in the mind prior to executing it for real. Personally, I would visualize and literally walk through every dive profile on dry land while seeing every detail. I would perform all the major elements of a dive before ever getting wet. I would also imagine everything that could go wrong and visualize an effective response or contingency plan. This was an important part of my mission prep when I was at SEAL Delivery Vehicle Team 1. The mini-sub dives were often 6 to 10 hours in duration with complicated navigation patterns. Dirt diving the missions prior to launch was crucial. It helped immensely when fatigue and Murphy's Law reared their heads, which always seemed to happen. The rehearsal, the mental rehearsal and plan of the route in both conscious and subconscious minds and provided the memory aid as well, subtle psychological cues. Additionally, it helped identify potential challenges before the mission hit the reality of the deep, dark nighttime ocean. I believe that visualization is an absolute critical practice for all leaders. It will enhance your mental strength, allow you to tap into more potential, overcome emotional boo, and become more creative and generative of your desired results. It's necessary for you to meet your mission and serve more effectively. You're already probably familiar with the rehearsal form of visualization, which I use for swimming, martial arts, and training for SEAL ops. However, I would like to discover the other powerful skills of visualization that you can develop. The first is that we can use visualization as a concentration development tool, such as the fishbowl drill that I introduce early in this book. Visualization for the purpose of strengthening concentration is an excellent practice. If it works for you better than some other object of concentration, such as just following the pattern of the box breathing. Second, we can use visualization to create imagery of a new mental construct that you do not have, you do not have direct experience with. This is typically called imagination, but people often mistake imagination with fantasy. The type of imagination we're talking about is very focused on a specific objective, to create something or become someone new. An example would be me imagining myself as a Navy SEAL officer when I was a CPA or an entrepreneur like Elon Musk imagining a new conceptual auto design or spaceship design. Third, when we imagine a desired outcome, such as becoming a SEAL and then mentally rehearse that image, this is similar to the dirt dive mental rehearsal visualization, but you're rehearsing something that you've never done before, as opposed to rehearsing something that you're already skilled at. I imagined myself as a SEAL officer graduating from BUDS, but I didn't stop there. I rehearsed it every day for over a year, which had a profound effect on me getting my contract and graduating as the honor man of my class, I believe. Mental rehearsal visualization creates a potent memory of a yet-to-happen future event. Practicing the imagery daily builds energy for a magnetic pull toward achieving that objective or pulling the objective toward you. If you do this daily and with intensity, 
you will accomplish your objective with ease because you have won it first in your mind. A fourth way to use visualization is to create an image of you in the future in your ideal state while fulfilling your calling, such as leading in selfless service. This is a two-part practice, with the first part being what I call your ideal self-visualization, whereby you create and practice imagery of you as the healthy, unbeatable whole self that you are becoming. Then you place that version of yourself, your ideal self, into a future me situation where you're envisioning that ideal self serving and fulfilling your mission and vision. So me earning the seal trident as a man worthy of being a seal is an example of this future me visualization. If I had tried to visualize earning the seal trident in the current me, it wouldn't have worked. I had to practice becoming worthy of being that man. Achieving a major milestone with a new business venture, having attained the skill and character to succeed is another example. Hey, maybe you've heard me talk about the power dot before. If you haven't, the power dot is an electrical muscle stimulation device that allows you to increase your performance, speed up recovery, and overall achieve a deeper mind-body connection. I love this device. I use it anytime I feel a little excess of soreness, well, a lot of excess of soreness, and or like a small tweaked muscle, and it helps speed up my recovery quite a bit. Most stim devices are clumsy and hard to use, but the PowerDot 2.0 achieves simplicity. Super small, you can carry it with you anywhere in your backpack. Benefits include everything from muscle recovery, supplementing strength training, improving your blood circulation, and it can also be used for natural pain relief by blocking pain signals and promoting the release of endorphins. Now, the PowerDot also integrates with Strava and Apple Health to provide customized recovery programs based upon your activity, all powered from your smartphone device. PowerDot's giving you, my listeners, 20% off with a 30-day money-back guarantee. I really suggest you check them out. Check out the Pro Bundle. It's the PowerDot Duo plus three extra sets of pads, so you can treat two areas at once and spend less time recovering. To learn more, go to powerdot.com. That's P-O-W-E-R-D-O-T dot com. Use the code unbeatable20, unbeatable20. All right, so check it out. Powerdot.com. Use the code unbeatable20. This is a great device. I highly recommend it if you are a hard trainer and or an athlete or in general want to improve your strength, your circulation, and for pain relief. Booyah. Visualization can be performed from the first person or the third person perspectives. What I mean by this is that you can imagine from your subjective frame of reference as if you had a helmet camera on, or you can imagine or image things from your objective frame as if you're watching yourself in a movie. Either method is effective. However, most people usually start with the objective frame and then naturally migrate to the subjective frame as they gain experience. You will gain more confidence as you get into this training. When you can clearly visualize an event or skill being done perfectly, the practice is accepted by your body as real. Though not as visceral as doing the physical event itself, the visual practice is still felt internally and strengthens a key muscle in any practice session. It leads to more confidence every time you do it. And as you see improvement, your confidence increases exponentially. Research has proven that visualizing yourself throwing a basketball into a hoop perfectly leads to better performance gains than doing it for real, which you can't do perfectly in the real world. It's because you can practice the shots perfectly in your mind, which is a feat difficult to pull off in the real world, the physical world. 
If you fear performing in public, which most people do, then visualize the performance repeatedly beforehand to dampen that fear response and boost your confidence when you go live. One final note, visualized event or skill should be charged with feelings, emotions, sounds, and even smell to make it as real as possible, as if you're actually experiencing it. That's why it's really important to ensure that your image is positive, powerful, and as near to perfect as possible. Journaling. I always have a journal ready to jot insights and ahas when I do the above practices. But journaling is also a distinct practice in and of itself. Journaling gratitude is shown to improve your positivity and happiness, so it's part of our morning ritual. We'll discuss that soon. You can also journal ideas, things you're contemplating, quotes from great books you're reading, and reflections on how you're doing, what's going well and what's not, that sort of thing. You can track habits and progress on your balancing the six pillars. You can write out your goals. Journaling is an excellent way to support your practice of overcoming boo shadow by writing about the patterns of negative conditioning that reveal themselves in your insight sessions and reflect upon where they came from and how or when they're triggered. Over time, journaling will help you see even more patterns of thinking, which can then become fodder for further work. I recommend using a handwritten journal instead of a digital device or a combination of both. We're coming out soon with the Unbeatable Mind journal, so you can use that as well. Writing is a workout for the brain that is fast becoming a lost art. Research shows that the use of the opposable thumb is directly related to development of our neocortex. So developing the habit or getting back into the habit of journaling is a great way to grow deep awareness while sharpening your mental power. Let's talk about rituals. The morning ritual. You need to have structured time in the morning and get ritualistic about how you do it, how you practice. I've had a structured morning ritual for years. When I got away from it, say because I was getting up at the crack of dawn for physical training or I was deployed in the SEALs, I found that my focus and peace of mind and the clarity all waned. Even if I miss my morning ritual for a day, I notice a degradation in my performance and clarity of my purpose during that day. I've since learned that the morning ritual and subsequently the evening ritual, along with some spot drills thrown in during the day, it's an incredibly powerful way to enact and embody this unbeatable mind five mountain training to accelerate your growth. Done day in and day out, these bookends, the morning and evening ritual and the drills, layer your integrated training, giving you tremendous momentum in all of the five mountains. My experience is that total transformation is possible within a few short years of engaging in these practices. Imagine what the potential is over a lifetime. With the rituals and spot drills, we can actualize the warrior's stoic one-day-one-lifetime philosophy, as well as turn one's life into what the Japanese martial arts would call shugyo, a life practice. Now, let's take a look at my morning ritual to reveal its power. The goal of your morning ritual is to engage the body, mind, and spirit immediately upon awakening in a positive potentiation process I call winning in the mind before starting the day. There are physical, mental, emotional, intuitive, and kokoro spirit aspects to the ritual, making it an integrated practice. The practice can be as short as five minutes or up to 30 minutes or more. If you add somatic movements, such as some yoga, asana, yoga asana, or qigong, it would take longer. Often, I will do my physical training after this ritual and some fueling. First, we begin with the bathroom stop and a glass or a liter of living water. Glass at a minimum, but a liter if you can. I drink it with gratefulness for the day, for the water, and for the planet. This water 
tops off my battery, so to speak, of my body-mind, which has been dehydrated in the night's sleep. It also reminds me that this day is precious, just as the earth and the water. Next, I enact the warrior concept of first thoughts and first words. That means I will curate the quality and direction of my waking mental gyrations. For me, that, the form of this is a sim simple mantra. I love myself that I say 10 or 20 times, followed by a review of what I'm grateful for. Then I'll review my vision, mission, stand, and ethos to remind me why I'm on this planet and what I plan to do about it. So far, this process has only taken me a few minutes. After that review, I begin my practice of box breathing using the continuum of practice I described earlier. First, I breathe for arousal control to de-stress. Then I breathe for concentration to develop my attention control. Then I breathe for mindful awareness and then for insight. I've got my journal handy to note any ideas, insights that come up. I box breathe in a five by five pattern, meaning that the inhale, hold, exhale, and hold are slow and controlled to that count. Five in, five hold, five out, five hold. This practice of box breathing takes me 20 minutes. Often, especially on the weekends, I'll do yoga, asana, and tai chi form afterwards to embody the practice even further. The finishing touches on my morning ritual are an ideal state future me visualization. Then I close off the whole process by reviewing my plan for the day to make sure everything is still in alignment and I'm super clear on my most important targets and most important training. It allows me to stay front sight focused during the day and to say no in service to the bigger yes, that yes connected to my why. This seems like an elaborate process, but it's really simple when you learn the practices. I challenge you to craft your own morning ritual based upon these principles and stick to it for a minimum of 30 days. My bet is you'll never go back to the old ways because you'll see transformative results. Recapitulation. Recapitulation is part of our evening ritual, but it's also a practice in itself. It's a retrospective visualization of your life. It's a very useful tool to help uproot negative patterns of behavioral con behavior condition from your past. That's your boo. It's best done as part of the evening ritual, like I said, but it can be standalone to help you clear this boo. Recapitulation uses imagery to revisit and review events in your life to release negative energies of regret, shame, guilt, blame, etc. In the ancient Toltec warrior tradition, a young warrior was required to recapitulate their entire life day by day back to birth before being granted warrior status. It took them over a year. Needless to say, that took some serious discipline and it developed their minds and emotions in a uniquely profound way. But it might be impractical for you. Well, we can implement a daily shorter practice to ensure that we have no new regrets while we deal with the biggest boo shadows from our earlier trauma, one by one. Here's a personal example of how recapitulation helped me. In my 20s, I had general anxiety with relationships, both romantic and at work, stemmed from early childhood trauma that I discuss at length in my book, Staring Down the Wolf. The anxiety was not felt as anxiousness, but more like an intensity. It made for uncomfortable professional meetings as I projected this hidden shadow into my team's we sphere. It also affected my ability to connect with women, and I was pretty much screwed up every relationship that held, every relationship that held promise in my teens and 20s. I find, I'd find myself pulling away, or the object of my affection would get fed up with my utter silence and bail on me. In one painful situation, I wanted to break up with a girlfriend, but I was so incapable of communicating 
that I stayed her with her for two years before getting up the courage to do so. You can guess that it wasn't a terrific two years for either of us. Those raised in a family lacking emotional maturity and heartfelt communications frequently experience similar shadow issues as this. Ultimately, though, through insight meditation, I realized that my emotional growth was stunted from this childhood trauma. Specifically, my father raged with physical and emotional abuse and was withdrawn. The one emotion he did have comfort expressing was anger. There was a lot of that going on at the time. I started shutting down pretty early and lacked the awareness and tools to combat it. As my growth later on exposed this uncomfortable truth, I didn't want it to continue to influence me or others negatively, so I committed to clearing it up. I spent time using a process called EMDR, or eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. I had a trained therapist use a combination of eye movements and the recapitulation visualization. During the sessions, I mentally revisited the childhood moments where I was disciplined with a belt or observed physical and emotional abuse. As I did so, I was able to understand and accept then to forgive my father. I accepted who he was and that he was using the only tool that he had available to express his shadow. The process can have a seismic impact. In just a few of these EMDR sessions, the intensity that I experienced in group settings vaporized. The emotional charge was uncoupled from the memories at a nervous system level. That recapitulation allowed me to see what had caused the problem to begin with, to forgive myself and others to release and release negative stories that I had bolted on to emotional energy. Recapitulation is distinct from obsessing about the past with talk therapy, which can be a trap that I vigorously caution against falling into. Obsessing about the past can only root it deeper and negatively affect your focus, your concentration, your self-esteem and confidence. Recapitulation, on the other hand, allows you to revisit the past with a purpose to learn and to release negative energy and regret. Then you can put painful memories to rest once and for all, freeing your future from their shackling effect. The Evening Ritual It took some time for me to recognize the importance of bookending my day with an evening ritual, but now it's SOP. The evening ritual includes a recapitulation of that day to clear any regrets before they get buried into your boo. I also use evening ritual time to ask empowering questions to ensure that I can learn all I can from the day's wins and losses. Questions also help prepare me for a good night's sleep. Morning and evening rituals create a container for your day, bringing great clarity and momentum on your developmental journey. I do my evening ritual fairly quickly. Some of our Embiddled Mind tribe take a little longer, using more time for journaling. First, I do some light movements, followed by deep diaphragmatic breathing in a four to eight pattern with no holds. This pattern really calms you down and prepares you for sleep. Next, I do the recapitulation of my day from the morning ritual all the way to the present. I pause at the main events and ask, how did I do on my most important target and my most important training? What went well and what did I learn from that? What didn't go well, what did I learn from that? What can I let go of? Is there anyone I need to have a critical conversation with or to apologize to to clear up a misunderstanding? And finally, is there any insight or clarity that I would like some help with during my sleep? I always sleep with my journal next to me because often that insight will pop in my head in the middle of the night, or I have a dream that exposes some truth. And if I don't write it down, I may have forgotten it by morning. That's it for chapter seven, folks. Um, next time on our next solo cast of the Unbeatable Mind series, book two, we're going to get into chapter eight, which is titled sharpening an offensive mindset. 
I hope you find this valuable and I hope you stay focused and continue to do the work to be unbeatable. See you next time. Divine out. Hoo-yah.